This is Make Yourself at Home, BizNow's podcast where we examine the pandemic's impact on the business of real estate. I'm Miriam Hall, BizNow's New York reporter. Today, New York City mayoral candidate, Sean Donovan. He was previously the housing commissioner under the city's Bloomberg administration and also served as Barack Obama's housing secretary. He says his background in housing and the fact that he handled the federal recovery effort after Sandy, as well as working alongside Anthony Fauci in response to Ebola, means he's got the skills to lead the city. I know something about leading through crisis. I believe I'm uniquely qualified to be mayor at a moment like this. And to tell you the truth, firefighters run into fires. They don't run away from them. I've been speaking a lot to people in the real estate community, particularly in the last few weeks, about this race. Um, And they all say that this is the most important one in their memories because many claim that the city is going down an anti-business, anti-development path, and they're worried that the next mayor could potentially exacerbate that. Would you call yourself pro-business, a a pro-development candidate? What I would say is I am pro-equitable growth. And in addition to my deep experience in crisis, I think the other thing that really makes me unique in this race is that I've spent 30 years in my career building partnerships between neighborhoods and grassroots organizations with the private sector uh, to get big things done, to build public-private partnerships that actually make everyone better off in the end. And that's why I say, I wanna make sure that we make New York City a city that works for everyone. And I only think we can do that, especially in a moment of crisis like this, with the kind of partnerships that cut across uh, the public and the private sector and the nonprofit sector. And I often say, we need a mayor for all New Yorkers, someone who can bring everyone together and not demonize and divide us. So what I've heard there is a lot of very nice sounding buzzwords from a developer's point of view, what would that mean in terms of potential policies? Because that's what they that's what they're interested in. Well, first of all, let me just say it, it, this is not just about words, this is about action. And if you look at my history as housing commissioner in New York under Mayor Bloomberg, as uh, HUD secretary and then budget director, I've worked over and over again with the private sector to make sure that we can build those kind of partnerships. So it's not just rhetoric, it's reality in terms of my my history. Um, in terms of specifics, what it was would mean is many, many policies that would ensure we create jobs and we build in this city. Um, what it also means is being able to change the politics of this city by creating coalitions that will ensure we actually move forward on rezonings like for Amazon, we get those done in the right way or industry city. It means that we would bring growth not just to a few communities, but actually make sure every community is doing its part across the city uh, to ensure that we grow. So to be very specific, it means things like creating an inclusionary zoning policy that doesn't just go zoning by zoning, but actually covers the entire city. What it means is reforming, not getting rid of tax programs that really help to spur affordable housing and more growth in this city. And it means building partnerships between the private sector, labor unions, local residents to train people for jobs that ensure that in the long run, 
everybody is benefiting from growth. That's why I call it equitable growth. I want to get more in the weeds with you in a minute on some of those policies because it sounds like you're referencing 421A or Affordable New York as it is, uh, mandatory inclusionary housing policies and some of the rezoning processes. But first, let's like talk a little bit more existentially. I think it's a really difficult kind of tread to walk for you because you want the votes and there are more non-developers than developers in the city, let's call them renters, and they've been really unhappy for a while. Are you worried when you start talking about growth um, and getting more housing built that they're going to view you as in the pocket of the real estate community? Let's again be clear that this is not just about words or rhetoric. I have a 30-year track record of working on housing and homelessness. I started my career volunteering in a homeless shelter and then working for the National Coalition for the Homeless. I built partnerships that did exactly what I talked about to create equitable growth. I I started working at a nonprofit that financed 5,000 Nehemiah homes across Brownsville, East New York, the South Bronx. And it is exactly that kind of growth that I'm talking about that ensures that we create not just individual wealth through home ownership, but community wealth uh, as well. And this is what I hear from New Yorkers across the city, is they don't, they're tired of rhetoric that divides us. We have depression level unemployment in so many communities around this city. And we need to make sure that we are building, that we are growing, but doing it in a way that everyone benefits. And I don't, I don't hear that Uh, as something that folks are concerned about because they know me. They've seen that I've been working in communities across the city doing exactly that and partnering with both private sector developers as well as nonprofits and community organizations to build exactly that kind of housing and neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, I guess people, I mean, the average New Yorker would would look at the last 10 years and say, or the average middle-class New Yorker would look at the past 10 years and say, there's been explosive growth, a lot of development. Like you look around the city, it's just, you know, risen uh, since 2010. Um, But all I got with for that was increased rent and a, a not very good subway system. You know, like that's kind of how some people would view it. What's your pitch to them? Well, my pitch to them would be go to Brook Avenue in the South Bronx to Via Verde. Look at what I think is the most beautiful, sustainable, affordable housing maybe in this country, not just in in the city. And those are the kinds of examples of what we can do when we build these sorts of, of partnerships. I would also say, look at the work I did to build partnerships in uh, after Sandy hit New York and brought together community-based organizations, the private sector, an entire coalition to reimagine what our shorefronts would look like, to not just build flood protection, but also to build parks, to build all of the things that make sure that uh, our communities uh, benefit from that growth. And this is why 15-Minute Neighborhoods is such a central part of my platform for mayor. Um, Part of the challenge that goes to exactly what you're saying is that not every community has benefited in the way that they should. Uh, If you live in a wealthy community in New York, you know what a 15 minute neighborhood is. Within 15 minutes of your front door, you have a great school for your kids. You have access to a job that sustains your family or transportation that will get you there quickly. You have healthcare that gets you a test for COVID or a vaccine, but you also have fresh food, you have a park, and we need to reorient our planning in this city 
so that everyone benefits from, from that growth so that they live in a 15 minute neighborhood. Let's talk about um, your affordable housing policy, because obviously housing is your background and, and that's a key issue for this race. So from what I understand, your plan aims to build 30,000 new affordable units each year and spend $2 billion on repairs on public housing. Let's talk about those, those 30,000 units. Are those new units? I mean, are people going to build those units? And how, when you say affordable, what do you mean? So first of all, we have to recognize that it's critical we build more affordable housing, but we also have to preserve the affordable housing that, that we have. And so we need to be focused on both. We also need to be ensuring that we're building units that are deeply affordable in addition to those that reach uh, people who are making, say, thirty dollars to $50,000 a year. Part of the challenge that we've had is that we focus so often on the city's programs which create capital and buy down the cost of building those affordable units. But the problem is if you make 10 or $15,000 a year, you can't even afford the operating costs of, of an apartment. You can't even afford the taxes, the heat, uh, the maintenance expenses. And so what you need in addition to the city's capital dollars is also big investments from the federal government in what we call rental assistance in section eight uh, and other forms. And so a big part of my plan is yes, building those units and preserving existing affordable housing, but it's also bringing the ongoing rental assistance that's gonna make sure that even for the very lowest income in the city, they can afford those rents. And my being very specific, only one out of four New Yorkers that's eligible for that rental assistance actually gets it right now. And so we need to work with the federal government. I'm, I'm the only candidate in this race who really knows how to get that done, working with the Biden administration and Congress to, to implement uh, President Biden's universal Section 8 program to make sure that everyone who really needs it, particularly the lowest income, can afford housing. Okay, so more emphasis on Section 8. But just back to the, to the 30,000 units. So a mix of pres preservation, but there could also be more development. Like I'm just thinking from a Absolutely. development point of view, what yes. they'd be thinking, and their ears would be pricking up. They're thinking, oh, there could be something in this for me, but of course they're going to say, "That is a pencil." So yes, we need more affordable housing to be developed, and what we need is more growth overall. We have a housing shortage, period, and we have a shortage of affordable housing. Those two are very much connected. And this is why I believe we need to go beyond just individual rezonings, but we need to make sure that we are increasing the amount of affordable housing that we're getting by applying uh, inclusionary zoning across the city. It's why we need to do things like unlocking accessory dwelling units in uh, neighborhoods that would allow more, more uh, affordable housing, even in our lower density, neighborhoods. And it's also why we need to change our parking uh, requirements and do other things that can ensure more growth happens, more affordable housing gets built in communities across the, the city. And that that growth is shared because too much in the, in the de Blasio administration, we've seen that growth focused on lower income communities. And we need to make sure every kind of community, like the Soho NoHo rezoning, Gowanus, other places are also contributing to that growth. And that two billion for um, for the city's affordable, uh, sorry, city's public housing. Where's that? How's that going to 
come to fruition? So um, my plan actually would invest $4 billion a year in increased city capital, two for public housing and two uh, to create those, those 30,000 units that you're, that you're talking about. Um, we need to make sure that that comes from the city's capital budget. And we should remember that while we have a serious budget challenge in New York, this is also the best time to be investing capital because interest rates are at historic lows. And so that kind of commitment is gonna be critically important, both right now to create more affordability, but also to create jobs that are gonna grow tax revenues in the, in the future as well. Um, what I'm gonna do is both get significantly more aid from the federal government. Right now, New York City sends $23 billion more each year to Washington than we get back uh, in help, as I said earlier. I'm uniquely positioned to be able to get that help. At the same time, we need to be making city government work much more efficiently and effectively to, to find the space to invest in the kind of things that we need to grow the city, like uh, our housing. So very specifically, we have uh, grown our city's workforce by 30,000 workers, even while the city was shrinking before COVID hit. We need uh, a hiring freeze to aggressively manage attrition. We also need to be looking at healthcare costs in this city. We can bring down the cost of prescription drugs. We can improve healthcare and lower costs through what we call delivery system reform and many other things. And we should also be clear, right now we're spending $3 billion a year on homeless shelters and hotels to put a giant Band-Aid on the problem when we could dramatically reduce homelessness and save money by reimagining our right to shelter in the city as a right to housing. So all of those are some of the ways that I'm gonna uh, clear space in the budget to really invest in the things that are critical like affordable housing. That $3 billion number is horrifying considering you only need to walk three meters to see someone literally sleeping on the street. It really is, and it, you know, it doesn't even include what we're spending in emergency rooms for the healthcare of those folks because we're not connecting them to the healthcare that they need. It doesn't include what we're spending in our criminal justice system. You know, we spend over $400,000 per prisoner per year at Rikers. I worked with President Obama to close the most expensive prison in the world, Guantanamo. Rikers is the second most expensive, and we're not getting good results for what we're spending there. And so there are lots of areas where we could save money, redirect it, get better solutions and better results, and also save money to invest in things like affordable housing. If you're a landlord in the city or own property, whether you're big or small, can you expect to be paying more taxes if you were mayor? Well, first of all, what I would say is you can expect that you'd get more help to get through this crisis. Uh, what we've seen is some people calling for just canceling rent altogether. As someone who started working, not just with residents, but small owners of buildings, nonprofits in the South Bronx, in Central Brooklyn, and, and seeing that in the 1970s and 80s when buildings were being abandoned all over the city, I know that we don't wanna go back to a place where people can't afford to fix up their buildings. And so uh, I'm uniquely positioned to get help with rental assistance for uh, making sure that we can pay the rent and, and keep up our buildings. I actually was working directly with members of Congress over the last few months to ensure that we got $25 billion of rental assistance in the recent COVID relief package. And what you could also be assured of is that I would bring 
low interest loans, tax abatements, other programs to help you fix up your buildings and make sure that they stay in, in decent condition. I will say on our property tax system, you know, there are some who are calling for a pied-a-terre tax or raising property taxes in various ways. I understand that the fundamental problem with our property tax system is that it's unfair. If you are a renter or own a rental building, you are paying a far higher share of the real value of your property than uh, if you own a co-op or a condo in the city. And so I do believe that we need to fix our broken property tax system and make it much fairer. And, and that means if you own a rental building, um, you would actually be paying lower taxes, not, not higher property taxes. So you are saying that you're not, you're, not, you're not supportive of like even a temporary increase in taxes for landlords? What, what I have said is I believe we should have, uh, if we do need to raise taxes to balance the budget, we should be looking at a temporary income tax surcharge. Again, our property tax system is already the most regressive tax system we have in the city. And we should be focused there um, as well as getting uh, as much aid as we possibly can from Washington. Let's look at some of the policies that you're talking about. You mentioned rezoning. Now we have like multiple examples of uh, rezoning just completely falling apart. I mean, Inwood went on, went like to court. Industry City was completely killed um, because the community said it wasn't going to work for them. And the, on the other uh, other hand, the people that were supporting the rezoning said they've just lost thousands of jobs and, uh, and an enormous growth. What's your approach to rezoning? You're talking about uh, it being not just held in some communities. Is that something like what Minneapolis has done, for example, where it's like a full city rezoning? Is that what you're looking at? How would you approach it if you were mayor? Uh, so first of all, what I would say is again, I've walked the walk on this, not just talked the talk. I led uh, negotiations around rezonings that brought together progressive groups like ACORN and so many others across the city to get rezonings done. And most importantly, we need a mayor who can build those kind of coalitions at the grassroots and with community leaders so that we don't end up back where we did for Industry City or Amazon or in many, many of these uh, rezonings. Second, what I would say is that it's critically important that we do have a more citywide planning process. Um, I believe that we ought to set targets for every community in terms of growth so that everybody is taking their fair share uh, of growth. And that requires a more comprehensive citywide planning process that isn't just rezoning by rezoning. Okay. And I think we need to start much earlier to engage with communities even before a rezoning is coming to start doing community-based planning um, across the city and make sure that by the time we get to a rezoning, we actually know what the community's vision is for uh, rebuilding their community, not just dropping on their front door, uh, their doorstep, a, a plan from the city that they've never seen before. So you're saying that you would overhaul the process? Absolutely. You... And I have many proposals in my uh, housing and, and land use plan that would do that. I mean, what do you think went wrong at Industry City? Not to like dredge up the past, but that is that is one of the things that has happened that everyone, no one believes they were wrong on that. Well, fundamentally, the problem was we had a mayor who sat on the sidelines. He said, this is a private application. I'm not going to weigh in. Uh, and we can't have that at, at a time when we have depression level unemployment in so many communities in this city. We need a mayor who actually steps up and says, these are thousands of jobs for New Yorkers. 
uh, this on my watch, I've got to figure out as mayor how to actually work with the community and get this done. And, and again, to be more specific, I believe that if the city had stepped up to say, we are going to invest the capital that's needed to open up the waterfront and give access to ensure that we're creating a climate resilient waterfront and that we're bringing the job training, maybe even a branch of CUNY to one of the empty buildings that would connect local residents in Sunset Park to the jobs that are being created. I think all of those are very specific pieces that were required city leadership and city investment that could have bridged the differences. But instead what we had was a mayor who sat on the sidelines and said, it's a private application, good luck, uh, I'm not getting involved. And, and we can't have that. So you'd get involved in rezonings? Absolutely, and, and I would get involved with community-based planning well before the rezoning came so that we wouldn't have the kind of fights that we had both there at Amazon and in many of the other rezonings. How does um, de Blasio's mandatory inclusionary housing uh, rules fit into your views of rezoning? That's a signature policy. Um, they say it's been very successful. So I would, as I said earlier, apply it citywide. And I wouldn't just make it dependent on rezonings. What I would also say is- so Does that mean that if you're building a new building, you would have to include some sort of affordable housing? Is that right? It does. It, okay. it means that we would uh, put forward a, in the land use process, a change that would apply it citywide, not just when you have uh, rezonings. What it also means is that I would look at ways to ensure that we were creating more different kinds of, of affordable housing, particularly home ownership. Uh, what I hear again and again with concerns about gentrification, concerns about wealth building, is that we need more home ownership that allows low-income families to build wealth and not to be displaced by pressures where rents are rising. There is an inclusionary option for home ownership that I created, but that hasn't been widely used. And that's something that I would ensure that we're doing significantly more of uh, as well under the program. But let, let's be clear, inclusionary zoning was always intended to be just one tool to create and preserve affordable housing. I think we, we forget that when you, when you really rezone or more broadly, you need all of the tools to be able to create affordable housing city-owned land, uh, looking at vacant properties, whether they be hotels or commercial space in this moment, uh, to really creatively look at all of the ways you can uh, produce more affordable housing and preserve more affordable housing, not just to focus on inclusionary as uh, a silver bullet, which it's not. So for a developer listening to this or someone who's thinking about building a building, they can expect that if they're building something, if they're building residential in the city, they will need to include some, of, some form of affordable housing within their, within their project. And it may be looked very different to what MIH has looked like in the past. What, what they can expect is that we would work with the city council to pass uh, land use that would do that and that would also ensure that there may be situations where if you're building single family housing or very, very small, you, there, there are ways, there are mechanisms that you can develop that allow affordable housing to be, to be built, but to make sure that it's actually feasible uh, given the scale or location of, of units as well. So without getting into the weeds on, on all of that, um, those are way, there are ways that you can apply inclusionary citywide 
to ensure you get much more affordable housing. What's your view on 421A or, or Affordable New York as it's now known? That's something that people have pushed to repeal. Uh, a lot of critics of it who say it's just a tax dodge, but the developers say, well, I can't build affordable housing without it. Well, what I would say is that at a moment when we desperately need more affordable housing in this city, it would be a big mistake to throw away one of our tools. So those who say, eliminate it, get rid of it, I think that's an enormous mistake because you're giving up uh, a resource to create affordable housing at a time when our budget is enormously challenged. What you can do, and I believe we should do, is update 421A, Affordable New York, to the moment that we're seeing in our, uh, in our real estate markets around the city. That's what I did when I was housing commissioner. I was able to work effectively, go up to Albany, work with the governor, work with the legislature to make it uh, better and to create more affordable housing. We need to do that again, not scrap it completely because we need every tool in the toolbox. Final question. Um, first time it's ranked choice voting. Who's your, who's your number two? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I believe that Maya Wiley is someone, given all of my work that I've done on civil rights and fair housing, she's somebody I've, I've known her work for a long time and uh, admire her dedication to the cause of making the city more equitable. And uh, I believe that I actually have the record to be able to implement those kind of, of changes uh, better than anyone else in the race but I do admire her work and believe that uh, she should be my second choice. Okay, is it feeling mutual, do you think? Is she putting you down or it's her second choice? I haven't asked her. <laughs> Sean, appreciate you making time um, and good to hear from you. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next few months. My pleasure, it's great to be with you. <laughs>